This season covers a death that occurred in 1990 in Palmetto, Florida. It's a true story, and while I have relied heavily on police reports, public documents, and interviews with people associated with this case, the opinions of the host and interviewees are simply that, opinions, not facts. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. There will be some coarse language and adult subject matter discussed. I almost didn't cover this case. After months of research, dozens of discussions with interested parties, after combing through the 500-plus page Manatee County Sheriff's Office report about a half a dozen times, I almost decided to pass. But every time I tried to give myself permission to do that, I'd get this sick feeling in my stomach, and I realized that I couldn't. I couldn't abandon Lisa, because I think that's what happened to her in death, and frankly, in some respects, in life. And I didn't want to be another person to abandon Lisa Beckel. She deserves more than that. And the people who loved her, the people who still love her, who reached out to me, who desperately wanted to know what happened to their daughter, their cousin, their friend, they deserve it. And in at least one case, someone who'd been the focus of the investigation for months, maybe years, deserved to hear that not everyone thought that he had harmed her. We often forget that in the investigation of death cases, there are secondary and tertiary victims, family that suffers with questions never answered, and people who police focus on that end up not being responsible. And whatever you may think of a person or their character, nobody deserves to be accused of something that they didn't do. This case is difficult. There are a series of facts, some that I can share and some that I cannot, that make it a delicate balance to cover. I hope that by the end of me telling you Lisa's story, you might understand why I decided that I couldn't give up. It'll be up to you to decide whether I made the right decision. Now, at that time, there was no, like, pull-offs or anything, right? Like there are now? No, 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 no. It was completely different. Okay. It was, it was barely a road. I mean, there was a road, but it, it, it wasn't like, it was nothing like it was now. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Like, there, it was, it was a, so I don't want to say a path. I mean, it was more of a path, though, than a road. Like, it definitely was not paved. Like, now there's a trail that goes right by where she was, I believe she was found, mm-hmm. that now is an actual path. Like, they've put shell down and made it an actual path. Back then, there was no watchtowers. There was no pavement. There was no, there was no nothing. It was a, it was a, a path to the point. And then there was some beaten pass off the, you know what I'm saying, off the way. Where you could you could wander back there and go wade fishing if you wanted. Like well, I, we used to do that, but it wasn't a like where she was found wasn't a that was off the beaten path. But there was definitely a path, but it was 
definitely off the beaten path, if that makes sense. So when you say path, we're not talking about cement. You're just talking about a path that's... No, 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 no. Like a trail yeah. through the woods. Like... So, yeah. So just foot traffic has made it a path, essentially. Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. And then you've got mangroves and all kinds of trees in there. So someone would have to essentially park their car off the side of the road where there wasn't really anywhere to park. But you just and then just walk into the woods. Correct. Okay. And that specific spot where she was found, had you ever been to that specific spot? Or, or where I, okay. So what did it look like if you walk, if you get out of your car and get off the road and walk into the woods, what are you going to see? Woods. I mean, well, so the landscape was kind of, um, so there's high ground and low ground. So where the low ground is, where the water is, there's obviously a lot of mangroves, Brazilian peppers. And it's funny because back then there was a lot of Australian pines and they did eradicate most of those. Mm -hmm. Well, they tried to eradicate all of them. I I think that's still a process, but um, heavy, heavy pepper growth, heavy mangrove growth. On the higher ground, there's you know more you know some oaks that's you know your taller trees you know what i mean right and it doesn't i was asking you um by by message that about the a beach area so there's not even a beach area you're walking through the woods and then suddenly it just sort of drops down into the water is that essentially well, well so where where i believe she was found there so there's a natural canal that comes in there that's a pretty marshy mucky stagnant area you know what i'm saying like, yeah and it doesn't look like there's a huge opening or, and i don't know if there was then between the actual bay and then this little lagoon or canal or whatever we're calling it more of a lagoon a lagoon is a good word so it definitely had so it definitely had flow of fresh of fresh salt water i mean because that's that's pretty much the breaking point for the Manti river Terracia bay and Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. so it's pretty salt water. However, there are alligators out there in the in the because there is lakes. There are lakes, but they're they're you know I mean I'm sure they're infiltrated with salt water from time to time. But alligators can take that. You know what I mean? They they'll take brackish water. You know what I mean? Do you got Do you remember being worried about alligators when you were tromping through there yourself i've never i've never been worried about alligators either i mean i know they're there but they're far and few between you know okay gotcha and and then you're saying this road that is depicted it with a green line in my um the 17th street or whatever west was actually just more of a a dirt path it wasn't even like a road road back then it was much more there was absolutely no pavement like now it's all paved right there's media like no like no it was definitely like, I remember, listen, I used to party out there all the fucking time. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it was, it was definitely how, once the state acquired it, they were able to pave. Like, now it's all paved, and mm-hmm. which is great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad about what they did, but it's, it's a thousand percent different than what it was back then. Right, like, exactly. You know, Pictures, now yeah. it's open from dawn to dusk and whatever. There's lookout towers, which is great. It's fantastic. However, back then, you could be out there whenever the fuck you wanted and do whatever the fuck. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't like it was a bad place to be, but 
it was kind of no man's land. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you're was, saying it's not a place where like the law enforcement is driving up and down checking things out. It's pretty much you're out there and you're on your own and kids are hanging out and they're partying and no one's bothering absolutely. you out there. So back then, like you go camping out there, like it was like I'm saying, it was kind of the wild west back then. Like, I hadn't even thought about the tide thing until someone brought it up to me. But I was wondering, well, how much of the how much is the tide going to rise and fall in that little lagoon? Is it, so it might rise, it might rise a foot in that lagoon. But the thing of it is, is that it's so far up in there that you're not going to get a lot of water movement. You're, you're, it's the, the water's just seeping down and then seeping back up. Like you're so far away from the current, the flow. So I was just the way you've described it to me it doesn't sound like like you said it doesn't sound like there was a sexual encounter consensual let's say because there was a condom so let's say there was and she's just lounging on some sort of you know the sand and then falls asleep drunk or is passed out drunk and her body is gently you know uh, cradled into the lagoon with the the fucking tide no absolutely not okay so so then we can count that out uh, that's was, that was literally sad to say the the best case scenario but it just really doesn't add up it doesn't add up that that's what happened now you know maybe he left her somewhere on the on the island and she but, but you know then how does she end up there at that specific spot and how does the wallet end up just you know a hundred yards down looking like it was tossed right out of the you know the driver's side i mean almost immediately and who's throwing someone's um, wallet out the window as he right. moves away from a scene unless he knows that there's someone he's not coming back for there was a party out at emerson point that night that went on well into the early morning hours I've heard everything from 10 to 20 people were there at one point to up to 100 that were there at some point. Some perhaps hanging out in their cars, doing what the youngins do in their cars at night without the glaring spotlight of parental supervision. A couple different people, other than the partygoers, perceived the scene from different vantage points. One was a man who fished about 75 feet offshore pretty much every Friday and Saturday night around that time. He had been fishing that weekend on Friday and Saturday night. The other perspective came from land, an individual who shouldn't have been out there because he was married, and so was his date. They'd only spent about an hour out there together on that sultry Florida night in June of 1990, so we can pretty much surmise what that visit entailed and that sort of thing was not uncommon out at Emerson Point. In fact, it was probably the rule rather than the exception. Neither of the two aforementioned married folks who were there with people that they weren't married to wished to advertise their presence for obvious reasons, but based on the police report, neither of them could name any of the people present, nor did they see Lisa Beckel. Not a single person out there that night remembered seeing Lisa out there. Not one. But what happened to Lisa didn't happen at the tip of Emerson Point on Sneed Island, the regular party spot. Rather, somewhere along that dirt road out there, one way in and one way out, 
What's disgusting to me is that that motherfucker still probably lives in this area. Yeah. Oh, I definitely think it's someone local because, or that was local then, because they, how would you know about that area, you know, unless you were, some random assailant wouldn't have found that. Whoever there either got significantly lucky or absolutely knew where the fuck they were at. Yeah. They had to have known where they were at. Because this is before smartphones and you couldn't see that there, if, if you didn't know there was a body of water there, you couldn't Google it. Like, we didn't have fucking phones. You know what I'm saying? Like, That's right. There That's right. Those, there were no cell phones to Google. Like, yes, exactly. You know what I'm saying? If you didn't know it was there, you had to know it was there. Yeah. You know it, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. because he could end it up in the water, especially if there's a slope, and they describe a slope there. So, he, you know, well, if it's... definitely a slope. And that's what I was telling you when I messaged you. Like, there's... So, it, it is a significant drop-off. Here's what someone else said. The area where Lisa was found is not the pristine area it is today. It was heavily wooded with a long dirt road leading through it. It was not the nice day park. Pretty much the only people who went out there at this time were fishermen who didn't have boats, vagabonds, and teenagers to party. Tell me about when you went in there and you saw um, that memorial or picture or whatever of Lisa on the tree. Yeah, on that same trail, there used to be a... It was like a laminated picture. It was her graduation picture, if my memory serves me right. It's been gone for 15, 20 years now, since the state and the county took it over. So once the state and the county took it over, they they shut it down and then they reopened it. And I don't remember the 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 picture being there, but there was a tree where it was stapled or nailed, I don't remember, but there was a laminated thing. I mean, it was there for years, and, you know, it was a graduation picture and, you know, in memory of, of Lisa Beckel and, what you know. And I, it, I don't remember verbatim what it said. But it wasn't visible from the road. It was back in where whatever happened happened, do you oh, think? Yeah, you had to walk back. Yeah, it was not absolutely not visible from the road. Okay, so it seems like whoever put it there, whether it was her family or law enforcement, it was put there with the intention of anyone that was visiting that specific area would see it. Correct. It's a smart thing to do, actually. It's a smart thing to do because if you're thinking people that are used to, if someone that regularly went in that spot might have information about it because those are the people that knew about that specific spot. Um, Right. Do you think that specific spot was a popular spot? Like, you know, popular... As in, as popular as the point, or? No, no, not not anywhere near as popular as the point. I mean, it was definitely off the beaten path, but it was, uh, there was a path. Well, you could go back there and you go wade fishing. I mean, that's that's what it was. So it was mostly for a fishing spot, you think? Well, yes, but there was, there was primitive trails that you could walk through, that people walked through. So you got to do more... You got to do more digging on the history of Emerson Point. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I've heard Emerson like Point the Indian Mound. There. Yeah, I've heard about like the Indian Mound. And, uh, so the trails you're talking about would it would they would they go from one end of of um, Emerson Point all the way to so you could literally walk on them all the way from end to end, or it's just a no. little trail here or there? No, there's so so like back in the 40s they cut canals for stupid shit like when they were putting people to work back in the depression Uh like somewhere out there i could find it if i had to but there's like a walking or working water spigot 
Oh, like, neat. Sort of well, like, yeah, there, yeah, there's remnants of old houses out there. At one point, there was old railroad tracks that got dumped out there. Like, the whole area has the property, I guess you would say, has history. So there was, I mean, people have been going out there for since the beginning of time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. So there was, there was... Like, who made the trails? Fuck, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they were just there. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Gotcha. So there was, in this area, there was a, a little trail to get around in that area, but it's not like they linked from, you know, one end to the other or anything like that. No, that, no, no, that no, makes no, sense. No, no. Yeah, they okay. still don't. The, the trail system links to itself. Well, now there's, okay, so now there's an asphalt, bike path, whatever, mm-hmm. all the way down. So technically, it's all fucking te- connected now. Right. Yes, if you want, so if you want to walk through the, the quote-unquote trails, they're not all connected. You can connect them, but you got to go back on the hard road. Okay, and go on and off. I got it. Okay, that makes sense. Now, let me ask you this. Let's say you're going out there to party uh, at the point one Friday night, okay, because this happened on a Friday night. Um, okay. Are you seeing a lot of cars parked on the side uh, off, like, where this car would have been parked to take to go in there with her? Are you seeing cars um, stopped on the side like that? So you could park on the side of the road. However, but again, it's not a it's not a paved road. Mm-hmm. So you're running the risk of getting stuck because I've gotten stuck out there before. So did people ever pull off on the side? Absolutely. Would would somebody? Is it possible that somebody pulled off on the side of the road there? Absolutely. Like in the vicinity where she was found. Absolutely. Um. Would that be where I would go to party on a Friday night? No. Better okay. yet, would and would that be where I go to bang some chick on a Friday night? No. Like that's, I mean, I bang her in my car when we pulled off on the side of the road because there's mosquitoes and yeah, uh, and that right there is and, you yeah. know what I'm saying? like that is uh, that's informative for me that explains something to me because that's what i didn't understand about this like why would they be going to that specific location for that and i i think you might be right i don't know that that's why she ended up down there or why they were down there but let me ask you this that's a kind of fairly long road you you would you wouldn't expect her from the point to have walked down there right no no you guys didn't just wander around um, on the road or that far down if you were hanging so out partying. So in a general area, I got stuck in a car and had to walk to the point, and it was a scary long walk. Like, I was like, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. Like, that's, <laughs> it's dark. It's it's not, yeah, no. Like, that's... Yeah, that's yeah, the thing like I was thinking of, dark. I, so... Like, real dark, right? I mean... Yeah, well, yeah, because, well, the canopy kind of covers the road. And, and, like, if you got a full moon, like, you might have some light. But, yeah, it's pretty desolate out there. Like, yeah. And, and I feel like, let's give Lisa some credit. Yeah. As strong as she was, I feel like that's not the place she would want to be. I, I agree with you. I mean, and but the thing is, we have to take into account she was drinking, but I don't, she, I don't, she wasn't probably not the one driving, so she's not the one stopping there, probably, you know? Another guy that I spoke to disagreed. He thought that it was a place conducive to a hookup situation. This spot where Lisa's clothing would later be found. Some 250 feet off the dirt road. About a mile from Emerson Point. He said that he fished in that area. Which would later be called a crime scene in the police report. 
and he recalled seeing the memorial on a tree as well. A tree right there on the edge, just before it sloped down to a sandy shore next to the canal. Once I got the crime scene photos, I figured out what tree that he probably meant. But he described the general area as around 100 to 150 feet of flat ground. With so many pine needles, the ground was almost spongy, which then sloped off into the water. And that is essentially what the crime scene photos show. While the ground in the images does look like there are pine needles that sort of blanket the floor, it also shows random trash that has been tossed around everywhere. It doesn't really lend itself to any sort of romantic interlude, that's for sure. It's more built up now, Emerson Point, with a few places that you can pull off and stop along the way, even a wooden bridge that leads across a canal out to an observation tower, as well as a kayak launch. But back then, it was a narrow road, unpaved, to the tip of the island, and both sides of the road were heavily lined with mangroves and shallow wet areas that would make walking around the sides of that road at night, in the dark, a dicey proposition at best. At the tip of Emerson Point, where you could park, where the actual Lover's Lane feel could be felt, the Manatee River would be on the south side to the left and the Gulf of Mexico with Edgemont Key straight ahead, to the right, northish, navigationally speaking, you would spy with your little eye the Skyway Bridge in Tampa Bay. Thank you, by the way, for the great description. You know who you are. I won't plop your name out there for obvious reasons, and there were a lot of you who I spoke to that did a great job of giving me the lay of the land before I even got any pictures. It's a real pretty view, and a pretty cool spot for a teenage hangout. You can close your eyes and imagine that warm breeze off the water. Fishing spot by day, beer and sex by night, an obvious place for a secret hookup for any local in the know. That's Emerson Point, at least back then. But what happened to Lisa Beckel didn't happen at Emerson Point. It happened about a mile east on the road leading out there. This is Lori. She was a friend of Lisa's. It's weird that there was a hundred some odd people there that night and not a single person saw Lisa, which tells me that Lisa may have never made it down to the point. She may have only been with this one person in that one spot, you know, that you guys, most of you didn't even go down there and hang out at. Yeah, that would have made more sense because if any of us had seen her, um, you know, obviously I know the crowd I used to hang out with, none of them would have let harm come to her. None of them. Yeah, I mean, she was just that, she was that girl. You know, everybody loved her. That's what I'm hearing. And nobody... She was, she was like salted. She, I used to work at a, a restaurant. I bust tables at the end of the pier. She would give me, before I got my car, she would give me a ride back and forth to work after school. Hmm. So, I mean, out of her way, and I would give her some of my tip money for gas. She was just that girl. She, she just, she had a heart of gold. Had a heart of gold, and I'm telling you, if anybody out there that night, I didn't know there was hundreds of people out there because I wasn't there that night, but um, if anybody that 
hung out in our crowd had ever seen that. Nobody would let harm come to her. Well, Nobody I'm hearing... would turn their back and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I heard anything from 10 to 20 people to almost 100 people. It depends on who you talk to, you know, like, it, it just depends. If you go, you'll be able I've to... Never seen, I've never seen 100 people out there. I've seen, I've seen maybe 20, 25 people out there, but I've never seen 100. Never seen that, because basically it was a place where all of the kids that went to Palmetto High School would go. There wasn't like other schools that went out there. There wasn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't like a uh, like the causeway. Sometimes we would go to the causeway. They went over to uh, Anna Maria Island. We all party on the causeway. That there'd be a hundred people at because it was different schools going, but not out at Emerson. That's where all of us kids went to go and make out and have sex. At that specific, do you know the specific spot where she was found? Not at Emerson Point. No, no, no. ma'am, I don't. We back, they have trails all through there now, from what I've heard, and it's all redone. Back years ago, it was just one road in, one road out. There was a big circle at the end of it and little paths. And we hung out with those little paths where we drank our beer, we smoked our dope, we made out with our boyfriends. That was a go-to place. So let's say if you're driving out there on that road to there, let, we'll start, let's go the opposite direction. You start at Emerson Point. If you start at Emerson Point and go about a mile, so about halfway down that long road, is where she was found, about 250 feet in, next to a, you know, in a canal. So she wasn't at the point or near the end point. It was a good mile from the end. Then to- she was probably fighting for her life. So would you guys hang out a mile from the point? No, no, no. We would never, never. It was always at the end, always at the very end of it. Nobody hung out up there. I mean, nobody. She must have been trying trying to get away or running or trying to find somebody to help her. None of us hung out that far. None of us. Okay. Now, they did say, and I hear that you're upset, and, and you're not the only one, and, and that's why I'm trying to contact everybody because I... You know, her her cause of death is drowning with acute intoxication. But so they don't even have proof that it's undetermined. They can't say that it's homicide. But her clothes were ripped. She was found nude in the water. Is there any indication you would think that she would go into that water to skinny dip or do any swimming? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. By no means, no way, no how. No. So none of you, nope. would you guys go swimming any at, uh, on the Emerson no, Point? No, no, it was nasty water out there. None of us got in the water. We just went out there to drink our beer, smoke our pot, and hang out as kids. Nobody ever, I, I don't recall, and I was out there many times, I don't ever recall not one time anybody ever entering that water. It's mucky, murky water. It's not like you're at the beach. Mm-hmm. It's not pretty sandy, clear water. And there, that it's loaded down with mangroves and everything. Well, back then, it had all kinds of mangroves and debris. Nobody would have gone in there. Nobody would have gone in there to take a swim if they were intoxicated, like you might do if you were at the beach. Yeah, and that's my question. You so you knowing that people are down there drunk, a lot of them. You still never saw anyone drunk no, wanting to swim. No, ma'am. And I was down there many nights, many nights with my boyfriend. He worked at the yacht club. He would get off sometimes late, sometimes on the weekends. He would go in early. Never once did I ever see anybody in that water. Yeah, it didn't make sense to me. And and I will say this, no way somebody would have parked a mile before the little roundabout where we all used to park because there was nothing there. There wasn't any trails or anything there. There there were little paths there, but it wasn't a mile from where we all hung out. I would say it might have been maybe 20 yards away to the next little path area. So there'd be no reason for anybody to be that far down on that road. 
a couple of guys have told me they would fish out there because basically I don't know if you're familiar what it looks okay, like. I know. Now listen, if there were people out there fishing, I never saw them because that wasn't an area that us kids regular. Right. So if somebody was out there fishing, drinking beer, you wouldn't. It was all like woods on both sides of the road. So if you were driving by, you wouldn't have been able to look at and see anybody. You will hear more from Lori in subsequent episodes. Emerson Point sounds like the perfect place for teens to hang out and do their thing, party and drink. Not so much the kind of place that you would expect to find a young woman left to die in the dark in the unforgiving elements of a Florida summer. In a Bradenton Herald article written the summer of 1990 titled Emerson Point Saved, Jerry Hill would reminisce about his childhood visits to the area amid an announcement that very week that the area had been purchased by the people of Manatee County to save it from being, quote, fouled with white concrete spires, tennis courts, and seawalls. In the 1980s, a group called the Manatee Conservancy comprised of conservationists and outdoorsmen, wanted to figure out a way for the public to own Emerson Point. First, they tried to ask the land be donated by the owners. When that didn't happen, residents of Sneed Island put together a plan to have the government purchase the property and put it into a public trust indefinitely. Manatee County taxpayers voted yes by a huge margin, 85%, to tax themselves for Emerson Point. So we can all thank those voters for Emerson Point as it exists today. Jerry Hill remembered as a kid his mother and women she worked with wading out with wash tubs to collect shellfish from the grass flats west of the point. In the article, he said, I was too short to risk wading back across the channel at high tide. This was a full generation before child molesters and incidents such as the Adam Walsh kidnapping murder, so folks didn't worry about leaving youngsters in public places. Back then, he had trucked back to land with a live sunray clam in hand and accidentally left it in the family car on that trip. Then he forgot about it, and it sat out there in the hot Florida sun in that car for days until he found it again on another outing. Let me tell you, a sun-baked July-aged clam is a tad on the pungent side. After spilling the contents of said clam onto the car's upholstery, he recalled years later how his cotton underwear and denim dungarees had not been great protection from the properly wielded mangrove switch that he had taken to the area in question. This article was dated July 8, 1990, and it would barely hint at the dangers lurking outside the idyllic memory of its writer, and not even mention what had occurred 23 days earlier out near Emerson Point, among those same mangroves and sea-grape-festooned sands. On the front page of this same edition, the headline reads, Park Not the Place to Be at Night. That park was Bradenton Waterfront Park. A man had been shot in the head a few days earlier by three teens in an early morning robbery. That area in Bradenton was some five or six miles from Sneed Island, where Emerson Point is located, and it would later be where Lisa Beckel's car would be found. Specifically, Rossi Park, which if you drove directly from one place to the other, 
would take you out of Bradenton across what locals refer to as the Green Bridge, into Palmetto, and then west a few miles out to another small bridge where you would pass the Bradenton Yacht Club on entering Sneed Island. It's all very close. A few miles could get you almost anywhere you wanted to be at North Bradenton, Palmetto, and Ellington, which is east of Palmetto and where Lisa Beckel lived at the time. On Friday, June 15th, 1990, by multiple witness accounts, Lisa was frustrated by her boyfriend of about three weeks. His name was Brian. She had spent a couple nights that week at his apartment, nights where he never came home. Brian had just gotten a job at a local club called the Southern Comfort Saloon. This club was described to me as rough by many. Did you know her, her, I guess, boyfriend at the time, Brian? No. So you didn't know him at all? I didn't know him at all. And he had only started working there with your mom about a week before. I think uh, they were... he. I spoke to at least one person already that said that was an ex of his that said Lisa would actually go to that bar and she saw them dancing there. So I know that they were trying to keep her out of the bar. She kept trying to go up there, but she must have been, you know, her her mom didn't like him. She must have been trying to get them sort of apart a little bit. Um, But she was hanging out up there. So your mom must have seen her enough. Because she did say she had told her not to come up there because she was underage. She wasn't supposed to be up there. So did you didn't work at the bar where your mom worked? You just were, did you go in and visit or you weren't even there when she worked? When she was working at the bar, I wouldn't go in there. I was young, so I mean, I wasn't old enough to get in. Well, Lisa wasn't either, right? But she ended up in there sometimes. Yeah, and I didn't know she was going there and hanging out, so. Well, your mom had told the police that she told her to leave, and and I had seen that she had gotten up to the vestibule area at one point and had brought him sandwiches. Like, she was trying to get in and trying to get in. So I think they were, you know, she may have gotten in, depending on who was at the door and who was there on some points, and at other points, like when your mom was there and other people, they would tell her, you need to go, you're underage, you know, that's just normal. Um, Well, the Wild Turkey was a crazy place anyway. I mean, it's rough. It's called the Wild Turkey? I thought it was called Southern Comfort. Yeah, it's called the Wild Turkey now. Oh, so I see. Southern Comfort, yes. Okay. It was, a wild, it was a wild place. Really? Yeah. It was a wild type bar. So it's still in existence? It's called the Wild Turkey? It's called, well, it was the Wild Turkey. I mean, I haven't been down to Bradenton in a while. But um, I know of five years ago, it's still called the uh, Wild Turkey. All right, I'll have to pull it up. It used to be the Southern Comfort. Brian had only been working there about a week. His schedule was to be there about 8.30 in the evening, and he would get off between 2 and 3 a.m. Then he and others would go out to breakfast and not even head home until 5 or 6 in the morning. But it's clear this week he was avoiding going back to the apartment he shared with a guy named Dave, where he knew Lisa would probably be waiting for him. He was spending nights with other girls instead. And Brian was 30 years old. Lisa was just 18. And as you can imagine, her mother had an issue with that. That is a concerning age difference at that age. Lisa had just graduated high school, attending a graduation party the week before. Lisa was described to me as wild and free. She liked to do her own thing 
And what also becomes pretty clear is that she's at that age where she's trying to get out there on her own and make her own decisions and become more independent. So she's dating this older guy and her mother is not happy about it. Her mom even talked to Brian about this. She didn't want her daughter sleeping over at his house and at one point that week on Tuesday night, Lisa's mom had called Brian at work to tell him that she was going to call the police. On that particular night, Lisa had been home, but they received a call from her uncle, who had been drinking and needed a ride. Lisa's mom said that Lisa left the house to go pick him up, and then that night she never returned. Later, she would call her mom back and say that she wasn't coming home, and she was going to stay with Brian. So her mom called the bar and threatened to call the police on Brian. Now, she didn't actually do it, but from the statements provided, it seems pretty clear that Brian wasn't happy about being called at work, at his new job, no less. And frankly, this relationship with Lisa appears to have become more trouble than it was worth. After all, he had a string of girls he was bouncing around town with, staying with one for a week or two and then another, and at that point there were a couple girls at the bar, where he was newly employed, that he had begun spending time with. So Lisa stayed at his apartment Tuesday night. He doesn't come home. She wakes up Wednesday morning. He's not there. So she calls her mom and she's crying. And she asked if her mom had spoken with Brian. She said she hadn't. Eventually, Lisa went home that day. And she would tell her mom that Brian had returned to the apartment later that afternoon with a guy friend of his. And he told him that he had spent the night with him. Lisa's mom didn't believe it. And I don't believe it either. I think he was very likely staying with another girl. Thursday, Lisa left a note for her mother saying that she was staying at Brian's again that night. She had lunch that day with a friend named Jeff Arnold around 10.30. This was someone that she had previously dated. They spoke about a couple things, but during their conversation, Lisa mentioned that within the past couple of days, she had been followed by someone in a truck that had been trying to get her to pull over, but she wouldn't. There's not much clarity in the report about how long that would have been going on or any other specifics, which is unfortunate given the events that would follow. Lisa also told her friend Jeff about Brian, that he hadn't come home a couple nights that week, confirming that she had spent a few nights that week already over at Brian's apartment. Lisa told Jeff that she was using Brian to get away from home, even though she did care about him and was going to see how it worked out. Jeff also told police that he thought she said something about having plans with her friend Buffy the next day. She was great. I mean, we hung, we hung out together all the time. Um, she was either at my house staying a night or I was at her house staying a night. But then, you know, she got a little bit older and what, she liked the party stuff. And me, I, I mean, I partied, but with different people, so... And do you know if it was later in the day or earlier in the morning when she said she was going to that party? Probably in the afternoon. Sometime it, in the afternoon. It may have even been the, after, uh, the day before. That's, that's what I can't remember. I know that we were just supposed to hang out and it didn't happen. Did she say, come with me or did, and ask you to go like she wanted you to go with her or she just, it was just a known thing that you didn't go to those parties? Uh, she, I believe she asked me because, I mean, I don't think we've seen each other for a while. Because she stayed in school and I dropped out of school. And she graduated and 
you know, we kind of, we still kept in touch, but, and I guess we talked about getting together that weekend and she may have asked me because she decided to go to the party instead. And, and I probably pretty sure I told her no, cause I didn't go. Yeah. So you didn't even know Brian, which is interesting because she was actually spending nights with him, you know, spending nights at his house, and that was causing issues with her mother. Did, did you know her mom? Had you met her? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, we were, I was real close to her mother, and, I mean, she like I said, when we were in school and stuff, she was either at my house or I was at her house. So it's sort of the the change happened after you left school. You're thinking, and as she got older and started, she smoked a lot of pot. So if somebody's like you know enticing her to smoke pot and have a drink, because I remember us working at Cruise Inn where she would, you know, smoke pot with people there. Where's what? What was Cruise Inn? It was a restaurant in Palmetto. And what? When did she work there? When she was still going to school? Yeah, we both did. I think I started there when I was like 14. So, I mean, my mom worked there. And um, when I worked with her at Cruise and, and we were young, we were like 15, 16. And we, you know, we drank a little bit after work. You know, we weren't supposed to be drinking. We were underage, but. First of all, you said it didn't surprise you that she would have gotten into a vehicle with someone that she just met at a, at a, a street corner. That doesn't surprise you? Oh, if they're just partying and, hey, you know, we want to go smoke a joint or something? No, it doesn't. And I it, mean, she, she snuck out of her house all the time. Would go, go meet guys. Okay. so her, uh, mom, her mom knew that. Yeah, I think her mom was trying to put her foot down. She had even threatened this Brian guy that she was going to call police if he didn't tell her she needed to come home at night because she was spending nights at his house. And I think it sounds like she was trying to sort of get out of the house. You know what I mean? She was trying. So she was staying over Brian's even when he was working all night at the bar and wouldn't get home till six in the morning. And I think he was actually avoiding her. And I think he was trying to subtly push her away. Because of the trouble that her mom was, you know, giving him, he, you know, basically he didn't want that because he's got other girls around. That Thursday evening, Lisa went up to Southern Comfort Saloon around 11 p.m. One of the barmaids, who was actually Buffy's mom, said she told Lisa she had to leave the bar because she was underage. Later in one of his interviews, when asked what he and Lisa discussed that Thursday night, when she showed up at the bar, Brian said, I just told her that her mother called. And Lisa was upset about that because, you know, she's at that rebellious age. And I think the only reason Lisa's with me is because she's at that rebellious stage. And she felt like she's 18 now and she could do anything she wanted, you know. When police further queried Brian, if that was the only reason he thought that Lisa was with him, he said, I think maybe, you know, I mean, our age difference was, you know, quite substantial. My hours at work are so crazy, you know. I think she just wanted to stay away from home for a while. I should note here that Southern Comfort was known to allow minors in the bar on occasion. And based on Facebook posts about the bar, they had been warned about it repeatedly. I also spoke with at least one person who said that she had seen Lisa and Brian dancing at that bar in the weeks before her death. And since Brian had only been working there about a week when she died, and the two had only been dating for three, this incident must have occurred in the two-week time period before Brian began working there. After that, it seems as though Lisa was being told she wasn't allowed to come in the bar. Brian was actively avoiding Lisa, 
according to his own statements to police, and the fact that he was repeatedly not showing up at his apartment after work, knowing that she was there. And by Friday, Lisa had had just about enough of being ignored. Whether it was on this day, Friday, or one of the two previous days, Lisa left him a note after he didn't return home yet again. Brian, I don't know why you didn't come home last night and I don't care. You have plenty of other girls you can dick around. It's not going to be me anymore. I thought you really loved me, but I looked around and I see that you love a lot of other girls also. You've got plenty to choose from. I hope you treat them better. I woke up at 6 a.m. and you're not even here. I went looking for you and I don't even know where to look. What the fuck do I look like to you? I'm not stupid. I can't put up with this shit. If you ever change, or should I say grow up, give me a call. See ya, Lisa. You know, I like Lisa already. That's a lot of spunk for an 18-year-old, and it may have been what attracted Brian to her in the first place. He met Lisa Beckel while working on a polar cup route. You know the drill. Truck or van, little window on the side, the fruit-flavored slushy ice drinks, a twist on the old-fashioned ice cream truck fare. Brian's route covered Palmetto and Ellington, and it was his job to hustle up business, slinging the icy treats. He tried for a time to sit across from Palmetto High School, hoping that location would pan out. The first time he went, he says he probably did $25 worth of business, which isn't bad when you consider the price for those treats back then in 1990. But subsequent visits didn't do so well, so he stopped going. But that's where he met Lisa Beckel, who was, again, 18 years old, to his 30. When he was asked by police what stood out about Lisa, Brian said she wanted lemons in her polar cup. She stood there arguing with me about it, like, you're supposed to have pieces of lemons. Well, we just didn't have lemons. I told her next time I come by, I'll stop and get some lemons and make sure they're always in there. And then she never came by again. But I'd see her, you know, riding with her friends and stuff. And I was like, when are you going to come over and get this polar cup? I never actually said that to her, but then when I saw her again at Al Smith's Shell Station, when I was working there, she looked real familiar to me, and I asked Mark what her name was, and he told me. And then we approached each other one day and started talking, and she says, Yeah, I remember. And I said, Yeah, I remember you too. I went to the store and I got you lemons. I had them in there, and they just went to waste because you never came back. We just laughed about it. The next time Brian saw her at the Shell station, Lisa was having brake problems with her car, and she couldn't afford to get her brakes done. So Brian offered to let her come to his place, and he would do them for her. So she went out and bought the brake pads and everything that was needed, and he put them in. Lisa's mom would later tell police that he didn't do them right, and she had problems with them afterwards. He said he ended up doing the brake job at the Shell station in Bradenton, which was owned by the same person, and it's another station that he eventually worked at for a time. But he wasn't at that job long either, and he then ended up at the Southern Comfort Saloon as a bouncer. Brian bounced around jobs like he bounced around women, and you will get no argument from me that he was a shitty boyfriend. I spoke to one of his exes and read statements from others in the police report. He conned some out of money, constantly hit women up for places to stay, he lied regularly, 
and generally was a real smooth, self-serving operator, who, according to reports, occasionally liked to rip clothing off of his sex partners and enjoyed a bit of rough sex. However, none of these partners described any physical abuse or violence. In fact, they were quick to say otherwise. Financial, yes. Emotional, absolutely. Nobody wants to be shacked up with a guy who is self-serving and has issues with emotionally investing in his partners, never mind screwing them out of money or their belongings. But none of them described him as physically violent to them. Now, it seems like by Friday, Lisa was starting to get a sense of some of that other stuff, hence the note that she left for Brian. Still, on Friday, there are indications that Lisa continued to look for him all around town, in Palmetto and Bradenton. Around one o'clock that afternoon on Friday, Danny Holland, who was the landlord where Brian lived, stopped by to grab a tool that he had left at the apartment where Brian had been staying with a guy named Dave. Danny was working on some renovations. He saw Lisa pull up into the parking area and look around. She waved to him, and then she left. Clearly, she was looking for Brian, and he wasn't there. An hour later, around 2 o'clock, Lisa was spotted by a friend who worked at the Bradenton Yacht Club. Only this time, she was riding her bike across from Sutton Park on 10th Avenue in Palmetto. They spoke briefly. She told this guy that she had been staying in an apartment in Palmetto with a guy who worked at the Southern Comfort Saloon in Bradenton, but she was upset with him because he hadn't come home the night before. During this discussion, she mentioned her mom had called the police to get her to come home. When she was asked why she was riding around town on a bike, Lisa told this friend she was just upset and she needed to think. Now, this park where she was spotted is less than a mile from Brian's apartment a couple blocks down, a couple blocks over, so it's possible that Lisa had gone home to grab her bike and then came back to the area to ride around on it looking for Brian rather than in her car where she might be spotted. I really can't come up with any other reason why she would ride all the way home to get her bike just to drive back to that area and ride around. I certainly don't think she rode her bike all the way from her house to that area, but I guess that's possible, although it would have been about six miles and given the time that she was seen in her car, I don't think she would have had the time to go all the way back home, dump the bike, and come back before the next sighting. So she had probably just popped her bike in the car, rode it downtown, and then popped it back in when she was done riding. Lisa was seen at around 3 o'clock by a guy named George Lamline, who said she was standing in the street near the Cruise Inn in Palmetto. This was a restaurant where Lisa had worked while in high school with Buffy and a couple other friends. She and George spoke for a couple minutes, and George would later be interviewed by police because he had been out at Emerson Point that night, although he said he never saw Lisa. George's name would come up later in the report because he, along with others, were asked by police to take a polygraph test. Now, the report notes that around 5 p.m., Bill Applegate, and another friend were driving on the Green Bridge, which connects Bradenton to Palmetto, and Lisa passed them and honked. She was heading at the time in the direction of Bradenton. I believe that it's somewhere in here that Lisa went to another residence looking for Brian. This was a residence in Bradenton where a friend of his lived. I spoke with a source who told me that Lisa had stopped by that residence and asked if Brian was there, and she was told that he wasn't. 
but Brian had come by that same residence earlier in the day and asked his friend to lie for him. Tell her I stayed here last night. He didn't want Lisa to know that he had stayed with another girl. Based on the report, I think it's clear that Lisa spent much of the afternoon driving around town looking for Brian and was having no luck. He, however, was having luck keeping his distance from her. About a half an hour later, between 5.30 and 6 p.m., Lisa was driving north on 10th Avenue, west in Palmetto, essentially in the opposite direction from where she had just come, headed again back over in the direction of Brian's apartment. She stopped and spoke with Tammy Metz and told her that she was going to change clothes. Damon Findlay was also in the car, and he remembers that Lisa asked him if he had seen their friend Patty. He told her that he hadn't seen her in a few days, and then they wished each other a good weekend, and she left. Now, going to change her clothes meant heading home to Ellington. Lisa's mom missed her that day. Lisa wasn't there when she got home after work, and at some point, her mom headed out to go bowling. But eventually, Lisa did get home in between there and change her clothes, and she left a note for her mother that read, Mom, I don't have to babysit tonight, but I'm going out. I'm going to stay over Brian's tonight unless I decide differently. Love ya, Lisa. Somewhere in her travels that day, probably around 5 p.m., right around closing time, Lisa stopped by to talk to Dave, Brian's roommate, down at the Shell station. It was for his girlfriend that Lisa was supposed to be babysitting that night. However, the girlfriend didn't end up bringing the child with her to town, so that afternoon, Lisa learned she didn't have to babysit. Her plans changed. Around 6 p.m., Lisa spoke on the phone to her friend Susan. According to witness statements and handwritten police notes, Lisa told Susan she'd run into someone at a stoplight in Bradenton and she'd made plans to meet him at Riverside Park. A handwritten police note says, quote, he was going to get a bottle, they were going to get fucked up. Tell me first where you met Lisa. Um, actually, at Winn-Dixie. Um, I was working there and I was a uh, head cashier at the time. And she worked there as one of my cashiers. She actually became one of my office girls. Excellent. And um, so, so we worked pretty close together. And um, my husband worked there too. Um, well, well, we weren't married yet, but um, we, were, we were dating. And she used to joke about it and say that she was going to um, she, she was going to be our babysitter when we had kids. <laughs> so she liked kids because you weren't the only person that she yes. had offered to babysit for. That's great. Yeah. Um, was she working at Winn-Dixie at the time that she died or had she um, gotten another job by then? Um, actually, she was um, Monday. She was supposed to start at Bank of America. Um, she had graduated and she had just turned 18 and so she had that job coming up um like i said and that was supposed to have been monday mm-hmm. so that would have been that, that wow she would have started that monday after the weekend that this all happened then yes friday um i'll just tell you the timeline okay that, um that she actually um she came over to the house a lot and she called me and she told me that um, she had met a guy at a stoplight and um, she was she would go out and she would 
also ride your bike and stuff over to 14th Street sometimes. And but that day, particular day, she said that she was on her way home, and so she met him at a stoplight, and he was like talking to her through the window, and he asked her if she wanted to go out, and they exchanged numbers, and I guess, and she said that he, um, um, <laughs> that she was thinking about it, and I said, uh, well, Lisa, that's not a good idea, especially you know, somebody you just meet randomly at a stoplight. Mm -hmm. So then um, she called me. That was that was probably about 12 when she called me. And then she called me again, and it was about 3. And she told me that she was supposed to go meet him at Rossi Park. And I said, Lisa, I said, once again, I said, you don't even know this. And that's when she said, I said, so, so do you have a name or anything? And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure she said Keith, but, um, that was kind of, a um, uh, iffy. And because at, the, at that point in time, my brother had shown up and he had my nieces and nephews and they were like yelling and stuff and, and, the um, background and we, when we were talking and that's why I said I was pretty sure it was Keith because it was kind of hard you know and anyway we just kept chit-chatting and um so I told her I said well my brother's here and I said we're going to go out a little bit later and we're going to go to wings and things if you'd like to come and she said no I'm going to go meeting and I said okay so um next thing I know um my brother had, had gone home and he had changed, got the kids dressed, came back over and he came over about 6.45 and we were going to leave and go out there on Cortez Road and Lisa showed up and she showed up and it's like 7 o'clock on Friday night. And so I kept telling her, Mark tried to tell her too, get in the car with us and just go to the pizza place and she said no she had she was supposed to meet him at 7 30 at the park Aussie park and um so that was the last time and if hindsight were 2020 i would have forced her in the car yeah. but the very first witness statement summary attributed to susan says this quote she last saw the victim at her residence at approximately 7 30 on June 15, 1990, stated victim was going to meet a white male, Keith, at the Riverfront Park in Bradenton. Victim stated she met the white male at a stoplight in Bradenton. Victim last seen wearing black skirt, white and black top, and black canvas shoes, wearing large black earrings. Victim stated she was meeting subject at the park. The statement doesn't make clear whether Lisa just ran into this person someone she already knew, or happened to meet a stranger at a stoplight and suddenly decided to make a date with them. Susan's impression was this was someone that she had just met. And that seemed so unlikely to me just on its face, but I didn't know Lisa. So I asked Buffy about that. You said it didn't surprise you that she would have gotten into a vehicle with someone that she just met at a, at a, a street corner. That doesn't surprise you? Oh, if they're just partying and, hey, you know, we want to go smoke a joint or something? No, it doesn't. A few other friends reached out to let me know that it would not have been out of character for Lisa to just meet a guy and get his phone number and then go out with him. 
so it seems possible that's exactly what happened that evening. Lisa was frustrated with Brian. She had spent at least three nights that week at his house, where he never showed up, and she had finally had enough. All of this tracks, and it makes sense to me. How many of you, how many of us, have had just a really crappy week and we said, you know what, I am going out tonight and I am getting drunk. I'm guessing there are a lot of hands up right now. We can all remember what it was like to be fresh out of high school, right? Out of all of the memorable stages of our lives, most of us can jump right back to our high school years like it was yesterday, at least in our memories. There are a lot of kids, and yes, 18 is still a kid, brain-wise. Science agrees with me. If you don't, go ahead, take a minute, and let Google be your guide. But there are a lot of kids, a lot of us, who are in a rush to get out of our parents' homes and run, arms flailing, toward the rest of our lives, ready to hug the whole world, gulping up every bit of freedom that we could every single day. We just wanted to be be without constraint, without rules, without someone telling us what we could and we couldn't do, with the daily regiment of school getting smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror. Unlike Lisa, who was robbed of the experience, many of us have since had kids of our own, and we are seeing the same yearning in them to break free from us and live their own independent lives. That doesn't necessarily reflect on us, their families, because that's the point, right? For them in that moment, it's not about us. It's about them, their choices, their potential, their future. There was one more person after Susan who saw Lisa that night. Well, one more that came forward. I think it's clear at least one person other than that the person she was with, the person who abandoned her out there on State Island, did not come forward. But there was one last known person to see Lisa, a witness named Mr. Oliver, Willie Oliver. He saw Lisa at Riverside Park, exactly where she told her friend Susan she was headed. Now, unfortunately, and not a single statement attributed to this witness in the file that I received is a time given for when he saw her there. And that is an unfortunate oversight. But what he said happened is this. A blonde, white female drove up. He said that she left her car and sat there for some time on a bench overlooking the river. He said she waited there for quite a long time, 45 minutes, according to a newspaper account, although again, none of his witness statements reflect that time, but he said, just as she started back to her car looking frustrated, a white male drove up in a white pickup truck and the girl walked over to meet him. Mr. Oliver actually heard the man apologize for being late. And then the girl got in the truck and they left. He said the girl appeared to be happy to see the man, who he described as 28 to 32 years old, with blondish, sandy, medium-length hair and a mustache. He didn't see the man's clothing. He described the white pickup truck as a late model, full size, with no topper and no damage or unusual paint that he could see. The only distinguishing thing about that truck was that he said it had a loud muffler. The next morning, I received a phone call from my old manager, um, Ron Kemper. 
and he was the manager at Palmetto, and he said, hey, um, do you know where Lisa might be? And then he told me that her mom had contacted um, the store there looking for her, and I told him, I said, oh, my God. And I, and I said she actually had a blind date, and she was supposed to meet that guy at the park. In the next episode, I'll go into what police and first responders found the next day on Saturday, June 16th, 1990, and what they found on Sunday, the 17th, near Emerson Point on Sneed Island. Unfortunately, uh, when we came around that corner, uh, I saw the medical examiners, and yeah, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Stay tuned.